0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Acts, from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. In this series on the Brethren in Christ Church and its core values, we've all been able to find that one core value that we don't very much like. For Some of you it was the dreaded E word, evangelism. Some of you got a little testy about peacemaking. For me, it's clutter, simplicity, Anybody who remembers helping me move books from Rancho Cucamonga to Riverside understands that I have some capacity for clutter. That hasn't gone away yet. I confess that I entered into the study and reflection of this core value, knowing that I am chief among sinners. We live cluttered lives. Even those of us who are as uncluttered as we know how to be, we live cluttered lives. The West is full of clutter. We measure success and well-being by the amount of stuff we have. And so we gather more stuff in order to show how Well, off we are, and it becomes that vicious circle of clutter and stuff and clutter and stuff. And even when we declutter, even when we go through the process of going through our closets and asking, does that give me joy? Have I worn that in the last year? Have I looked at that book in the last five years? By the way, I'm hanging on to those books still. You can pray for me, but I haven't been healed of that yet. We live lives of clutter, and yet the uh, the core value of the church we've said is is one of simplicity of decluttering our lives for the sake of hospitality. We've we've talked about these ten core values. Now, okay, let's just confess for a moment that ten core values seems kind of cluttered. <laughs> just, I'll just leave it at that. Please don't tell Alan Robinson I said that. <clears throat> we, uh, we, we have a lot of core values, but they basically fall into two categories. One category is what is God's mission in the world? How is God redeeming the world? God's redeeming it through his acts of love and grace. He tells us that story in the narrative we call the Bible. And we express that redemptive work as we gather to worship, as we seek to be disciples following Christ daily in life, and as we build an ecosystem of community full of God's love and grace. That's that's God's redemptive work in the world, the Our mission, our part of of living out God's mission, is to welcome the world that God is redeeming. And we do that through acts of evangelism, of telling our story, not in an imperialistic or triumphalistic way, but of simply living in such a way that we invite conversation. Compassion of serving those with need not serving down to not not charity but service coming alongside and peacemaking having and holding a reverence for all life that that transcends the right of judgment but calls us instead to make holy all of life But we can't do those acts of outward hospitality, of welcoming the world that God's redeeming. We can't can't express that redemptive experience very well unless our lives are inwardly aligned. And that's what these last two core values are about. We inwardly align our hearts and our souls and our beings to be engaged in God's mission, to welcome the world that God is redeeming as we declutter our lives and seek intimacy with God. And so simplicity becomes for us part of what it means to follow Christ. Simplicity isn't any more an optional part of the gospel as peacemaking is, or as evangelism is, or as reading the Bible is. Simplicity is our calling. We say in the Brethren in Christ Church that we value uncluttered lives which free us. If it doesn't free you, it's it's not uncluttering. (laughs) Which Which is my excuse for hanging on to books, okay? Just so that you know. Just so that you know the, the wacky ledge I live on, on this issue. We value uncluttered lives which free us, and free us to do three things. Love boldly, give generously, serve joyfully. We do those, those acts of loving, giving, and serving as we learn to simplify our speech, simplify our stuff, and simplify our schedules. But where has that ever happened? I mean, where, where do we find an example of that kind of life? I mean, I look around in my world, and I see very little of that kind of decluttering. Oh, we we might go through our closets and get rid of some stuff. We might go out into the garage. And assuming we can get into the garage, we we might actually get some stuff out and have a garage sale. But the kind of radical decluttering that the simple gospel calls us to so that we can be engaged in God's mission of welcoming the world he's redeeming, that requires a different level of decluttering. A simplifying of speech, a simplifying of our stuff, and a simplifying of our schedules. And I stand here this morning as one just utterly convicted by that. Because I live in a world of complex speech. I talk all the time. I talk until my tongue falls out some days. Amen. Amen. And if I hear that again, it'll be this morning, okay? (laughs) I live in a world where simplifying my stuff it's hard. There's there's a lot of stuff that crosses my desk, mail and email and paperwork and all of that, and none of that tends to go away. The bishop isn't gonna stop sending requests for reports anytime soon. And simplifying schedule, <laughs> right? That's gonna happen. So how do we do this? What? What? Where's? Where's a Where's a biblical narrative that helps us understand how to declutter our souls so that we can be in a position to welcome the world that God is redeeming, so that we can align our lives towards God's redemptive action? Well, the story I just read from Acts 2, 42 to 47 is the story of the newborn church and an uncluttered faith. Acts 2.42-47 is the summary passage and a transitional passage that wraps up the miracle of the day of Pentecost where the disciples have gathered in an upper room 50 days after Passover, 50 days after the miracle of Jesus' death and resurrection, 10 days after his ascension. And they're wondering, what's next? What... What has the last three years of our lives given over to this Jesus who is now gone? What does it mean? What do we do? And they are wrestling with this in this upper room. And on the day of Pentecost, on the day of first fruits, on the harvest celebration, there's this mighty rushing wind that fills the room that they're in. And tongues of fire descend on each of them. Really spooky, scary stuff. And they move out of the upper room with boldness at nine in the morning and begin to proclaim in the temple square the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, the one promised by God to deliver Israel and to be a light to the Gentiles, to redeem the world. And everybody goes, you've got to be kidding me. These guys are drunk. They are crazy. And Peter proclaims, we're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. We haven't had enough time. So let me tell you about this Jesus. And he begins to proclaim God's good news. And Luke summarizes this incredible story of what happened on that day, how 3,000 people turned to Jesus as Messiah on that day. This is is always the standard that's held up in preaching class and seminary. See, if you were only filled with the Holy Spirit, you could win 3,000 people in one sermon. And when you read Peter's sermon, it's like, how did did 3,000 people respond to that sermon? Not nearly as creative as some of the stuff I've come up with. But there it is. And we get this summary. And in it, in this summary, there are the virtues, the values, the principles of living uncluttered lives that free us to love boldly, give generously, and serve joyfully. Begins in verse 42 with a sense of uncluttered devotion. And continues into verse 43 with an uncluttered sense of awe. There's a simplifying of speech here. There's teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread prayer. Not a lot of theological debate. Not a lot of position papers or policy documents being written. Not a lot of of frou-frou here. Just... Teaching and fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer, and a sense of awe as miracles break out. It's loving boldly. It's living boldly. It's simple in its speech. Peter's sermon became the basis of teaching, no doubt, in that early church. Peter's sermon is a simple set of words about How the day of the Lord is upon us, how God's broken into history in a new way. The gathering together for conversation, for fellowship, to eat together, to pray together. This is not rocket science. We always try to make church in the West a set of rocket science like principles. If we do X, Y, and Z, then A, B, and C will happen. I'm from the era where we thought if we did 20,000 robocalls to a neighborhood, we'd have 100 people show up for a first service. Actually, we'd have 200 people show up for a first service and 100 of those folks would leave the next week. We could plant a church if we just did the right technology. Ugh, no. Loving boldly, simplifying our speech, means delving into relationship. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer aren't aren't scientific principles. They are relational attitudes. They are ways of being with each other. And, And that's the costly part of decluttering. Because we don't declutter... So that everything is an easy punch list. We declutter so that we can spend more time with God and each other. Uncluttered devotion and uncluttered awe conspire together in the book of Acts to create a people who loved boldly, who simplified their speech from all of this, all of these laws that must be followed to one truth, Jesus Christ is Lord. That wasn't all that the church did. They they gave generously. They simplified their stuff. They practiced an uncluttered economics. Look at verses 44 and 45 closely. Look at what they did. They divested themselves of property and possessions. They lived with a liquidity. They cashed in holdings and set money aside for whoever had need. That's an interesting economic principle, not not one that's going to create best market response and wealth maximization, but one that enables us to respond nimbly to each other as we have need. One of the things we've done at Madison Street in in this year is created a diaconal fund where we can respond nimbly, where we can... Take people's gifts and hold them until there's a need and then meet that need. It sounds like a kind of duh. Well, sure, that's what you should do. But we've, we've operated over the years with such a principle of, well, needs will just arise and we'll meet them. And all of a sudden, we've got a lot of new faces and folks and we don't all know each other. We don't all have 25 years, 30 years of knowing each other. And so the Diaconal Fund has been an instrument to allow us to meet needs of others where we don't know everybody's story. It's given us a way to have an uncluttered economic life to create liquidity for need. What would that look like if each of us in our own household stewardship began to set money aside in a savings account. Let it even be an interest-bearing account for the needs of others. We created our own diaconal funds for one another. Most of us want to know what's going to be the return on investment with our money. How do I maximize my wealth? The early church asked, how do I how do I stay liquid enough to meet needs quickly? It's a different kind of stewardship. It's a more difficult kind of stewardship. Again, decluttering isn't about making things easy. It's about simplifying our lives so that we can be people of hospitality, so that we can welcome the world that God is redeeming, so that we can be part of God's mission of redemption. Verses 46 and 47 then talk about uncluttered friendships. It's a sense of serving joyfully together. There's a simplifying of schedules. People spent time together in the temple and in each other's homes. They spent time together. It wasn't just a see you next Sunday kind of community. And we aren't either. But That's the challenge in the Western church. We think Sunday morning is the do-all, end-all, be-all, especially if we were a smaller congregation and we disappear the rest of the week. The challenge that the earliest church had in this city of Jerusalem, where people weren't quite sure what to do with Jesus, was to say, we've got to see each other. We've got to be together. We've got to live life in front of each other. And that means simplifying and changing the priorities in our schedules. How do we begin, the early church asked, the newborn church asked, how do we begin to pay attention to each other's lives? Well, we eat in each other's homes and we see each other in the marketplace and in the temple square. They developed uncluttered friendships that allowed them to serve each other joyfully. The newborn church had it right. And that's that's why generation after generation of Christianity has pivoted back to this passage in the book of Acts and said, how do we recover this? How do we become this again? And in the 21st century, with all of our clutter and all of our stuff and all of our things, It is so hard to do this, and yet on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people made a sea change through the power of the Holy Spirit and uncluttered their lives and became free to love and give and serve. to be devoted and in awe, to have liquidity and friendships. So this morning, some questions for us to think about. When was the last time our lives were available enough to be devoted together? When was the last time we really weren't stealing a look at our our watch or checking our iPhone to see where else we needed to be or what else we needed to do or where we needed to go. When was the last time our lives were available? Available to be devoted together. When was the last time our schedules were clear enough to see God at work and be in awe of his majesty? i will confess to you that my life is busy enough to where this is a hard one for me to where really seeing god at work and stopping and just being in awe of him at work is a hard one for me to accomplish because man i got to get on to the next thing when was the last time your stuff was at the disposal of someone else. And I I choose that word deliberately. It's at the disposal with all the meanings that go with that word. When was the last time your stuff was at the disposal of someone else? And when was the last time life was so simple you didn't have any enemies? But instead, even in the city that viewed your your Lord and Savior, with skepticism, you found favor with the people. See, the best things in life aren't things. The best things in life is God's redemptive work and calling us to be part of that redemptive work, to welcome the redemptive work that God is accomplishing all around us. But in order to experience that, in order to participate in that, we've got to declutter. I've got to declutter my life. We've got to declutter our lives. One more thing. It's Richard Foster, of course, who I think says this best. Even though it's a run on sentence and would drive an English teacher nuts. When we focus on God, we embrace certain truths that our stuff has been given to us by God, and that it is not ours to hold on to, and that, is, and that it is intended for the good of the larger community. That perspective results in simplicity. to declutter our lives, to be able to let go of the things that we have clung to in order to experience the new redemptive work that God is up to. That's the invitation this morning. Simplicity for the sake of simplicity. I don't know. That that might sound interesting, but I like my books too much. But simplicity, letting go of what we've been holding on to, to take hold of the redemptive work that God is up to. That sounds like an amazing journey. And one that hesitantly, fitfully, step by step, I'm ready to go on. And I pray we are too.